But we can be tempted to believe that we are earning our way to God because I don't do this or because I do this. And we can be tempted to believe that we're earning our way to heaven. And the goal isn't to display our goodness. That's the problem. The goal is to display the goodness of God. The goodness that flows out of us. Because let me tell you something. When you're living this life of the Spirit, when you're living by the things that said, when you're living that Jesus is living in me that we've talked about in Galatians 2, people are going to look at that and say, what's going on with you? What's different? Why are you able to do that? And all you can say is, it's not me. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. It's Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live by the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. He's the one who loved me. He's the one who gave himself for me. You see, my boasting can only be in the cross of Christ. And when we're able to become this new person... We're able to do so because of we're following Jesus and the Spirit of God. Now, we make decisions. But let me tell you, we don't know really the true and right decision unless God illuminates that path. Therefore, it takes us out of it. We're making a decision, but God is the one. His Spirit continues to guide us and to lead us. Therefore, all goodness, everything comes to him, not to ourselves. That's why we go to those who are caught up in those in wrongdoing in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6. That's why we're able to go to them in gentleness. Because when we are boasting in ourselves and our goodness, you know what we do with people who aren't living like we are? We look down on them. But when we realize the power is in the Spirit of God and it's not in with us, then we realize how much other people need what we have been given. Not who we are, but what we've been given. That changes everything. That changes the motivation. So when Paul says that he boasts in the cross, he's not talking about boasting at all. What he's saying is, who I am and what I am has come from nothing more than Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross. Here's the next thing. Shout, new creation. I love this in the text. You go back to verse, four, uh, verse 15. I'm going to read it the way the Greek had intended it to be read, or really Paul intended it to be read. And this is what it would have said. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything but new creation. There is this literary effect that happens in the Greek. Now what happens is what most of our translations, including the one that I use, it, it puts this other stuff in in order to make it it flow. But Paul is looking at all of this, circumcision and uncircumcision, and, and, and he's looking at that old life, and, but he can only say, new creation. New creation. It's the same thing he said back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, or what he will say later on. He says, so if anyone is in Christ, and again, this is that Greek rendering and not how our translations flow it. He says, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. All things have become new. These old things, they passed. Because I'm in Jesus Christ. That's what I boast in. It's so powerful. In Christ, neither circumcision or uncircumcision is anything. It's only faith working through love that he talked about in chapter 5 and in verse 6. Folks, he's not talking about a new religion. 
He's not even talking about being born again with this new creation. What he's talking about here is the God who created the world. He has come to redeem it. He has come to transform it. It, was, it goes right along with what Paul had written in Romans chapter 8. And we said this in class, that Romans chapter 8, it shows that we are connected with creation. And the creation, it groans. That it's subject to this futility. It's waiting for the day that it will finally be released. Hallelujah. And so he comes back in verse 19 and he says he's waiting to be that creation waits to be set free. Folks, Paul wasn't teaching something new. This is not something he came up with. Do you know it has its roots in the Old Testament? Shocker, right? It's just a shocker to us, right? Because all through this we have seen this about the creation and as about Galatians, the book of Isaiah. It's such a fascinating book. And in the book of Isaiah, it talks about the, the fall of Jerusalem and Babylonian exile. A hundred years later, the first part of this prophecy is going to come to pass. It's going to happen. And we might think, wow, this book is all about gloom and doom. It's an amazing prophecy that we find. Because he goes through half of this book, and then all of a sudden, after this gloom and doom, it's all about hope. It's all about something that's coming, and it's speaking of the messianic king. And he's coming. And all nations, he says, that they will be uh, brought together as one. That sounds a lot like Galatians, doesn't it? That sounds a whole lot like the one table. And in fact, as we go through and I continue to talk about Isaiah, I'm going to put up passages from Galatians, and you're going to see how Paul really draws off of Isaiah and the prophecy of new creation. Once Israel comes back from captivity, the people, they continue to rebel, but God is going to do something new. He is going to send his servant into the world to do what the Jews had failed to do, which is to be the light, the light to the nations. And what's interesting is in chapter 49 and verse 3, it is Yahweh who calls this servant who is to come, he calls him Israel. Isn't that interesting? He will not only restore Israel, he is going to be a light to the nations. He will be the servant that is empowered by God's Spirit to announce good news. That's the gospel. And to bring God's kingdom to all nations. I think I'm going the wrong way here. Nope, nope. We'll go there. But then he tells us what this servant's going to have to do. He says the servant is going to be beaten. He's going to be killed by his own people. And the irony, and, and this is kind of what was spoken of in the Lord's Supper this morning, and the irony is that Jesus did die, and in dying, he dies for the sins of the very people that he's trying, who are killing him. 
all of a sudden in chapter 53, the servant is alive again. He's resurrected. Those who come and they respond in humility. These are the ones who become his servants. They inherit God's kingdom. In the last ten chapters of Isaiah, we find three poems. And one of those poems has to do with, um, with the spirit-empowered servant. And he has come and he has announced the good news, the gospel, to the poor. He announces God's kingdom. The other was the servant's prayer. And they prayed for repentance. And they were grieving over all the evil that they were seeing in the world that was around them. They asked for God's forgiveness. And they asked that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, that's a familiar phrase. It then goes into a poem contrasting the wicked with the servants of the Messiah King. God says that he's going to bring justice. He is going to bring justice on all who pollute the world with its evil and its selfishness and its idolatry. And he will remove them from his city, the heavenly Jerusalem, forever. But his servants will be forgiven. And they will inherit the new heaven and the new earth. It is a prophetic imagery that we find in Isaiah chapter 65 verse 17. For I will create a new heaven and a new earth where death and suffering will be no more. People of all kingdoms are going to be invited to come and to join the servants of God's covenant family so that everyone could come and to know their creator and their redeemer. And so Paul says, for neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything but new creation. Through the suffering servant king, Jesus Messiah, God's covenant people, his family, will come from all nations, from all status. They will come from all genders. And they are awaiting the hope of God's justice in bringing about this renewed creation. And it's really interesting when you get into the book of Revelation, it also speaks of this new creation. It quotes back to Isaiah and other, other prophetic passages that we find. In fact, you may want to even look at Revelation chapter 21. And it's really interesting what he says. He says that heaven is going, coming down. It doesn't speak of it going up. And he begins by saying, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Familiar language. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea existed no longer. I also saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with men. 
and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will exist no longer. Grief, crying, and pain will exist, will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. Folks, this is the inheritance that we receive by faith and not by works. For now, we are in a time of refreshing, is what we read about in Acts, until the second coming of Jesus Christ. And at that time, we're going to receive our inheritance. What inheritance? It is heaven and earth. We receive it by faith in the Messiah. We receive it because of the very foundation of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the heir of all things. And we become co-heirs through faith. Folks, new creation, that is our inheritance. Whatever that may look like, whatever that may feel like, I don't know. I just know what he says. And so we wait, and we wait for the final part of that new creation, which is the redemption of our bodies. That is resurrection. We wait for the liberation of creation, which is the new heaven and the new earth. But you may be saying, but what do we do till then? Here's what we do. We practice new creation. That means knowing your story, knowing how God has rescued you from this present evil age. Folks, baptism, it's about helping us to remember our story, remembering what we boast in, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. Folks, Jesus, baptism, that is the announcement of our new creation. Through communion we just partook of, it continues to point to us through the bread, the life of Jesus, the life that we couldn't live, the reason that we can't say, I boast in my works because it's only by Jesus' body that this could happen. And the juice, the wine, the whatever you want to call it there, listen, that is symbolic of the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the cross of Christ. And, and we come together every week as the new creation and we join in and we see these symbols and we watch other people who become new creations themselves and we rejoice. And I'll tell you something else that new creation does. It cares for God's created world now. We are connected to creation. And that means we should care about our created world. We should be very concerned about the poisoning of our oceans and our lakes and our canals. We should be concerned and care about the endangered species that we find right here in Florida, unless they're a snake. Oh, I guess even them. We should be concerned about the ecosystem of the Everglades. 
that when there's concern, we should be concerned. Listen, if the Father in heaven is concerned over one sparrow, the smallest of birds, that passes away, then how can we, who are his new creation, that's supposed to be Matthew 10, 29, how can we reflect that image In our own way, we come together here today as new creation. And we worship, and we say as those who are around the throne of God in Revelation 4 and verse 4, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. We participate in new creation as we live and as we follow the Spirit of God. What is new creation going to be like? What is, how does new creation live? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness faithfulness, self-control. That's the new creation. In this realm, there are no fleshly distinctions that divide us. Like circumcision, this is where God's grace is at work. This is where God's people are united around one table and we're not divided by separate tables. And we find that kind of unity. And our boasting is simply in the cross of Jesus Christ. And, 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 and we, we get away from this idea of this legalistic rule following. And we just put our faith and our hope in all of these things that we just talked about. Let me tell you, there is a unity that happens. And we're just given a taste of new creation. Some of you, you've been here maybe several weeks and, and maybe you've gotten to a point you're not real sure where to go from here. In fact, we use some terminology, and I know I use some terminology sometimes that it's like, I don't even know what that word means. That's okay, come talk to us, we'll be glad. Listen, these are words of new creation. We don't expect people to always understand what those are, but we want you to understand what they are. And more than anything else, we want to celebrate and we want to shout with you new creation. New creation. I can't think of a better way to end this book. There's so much joy that comes from this. So much blessedness. And if we can help you in any way, come now as together we stand and as we sing.